Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Sarah, and my family and I lived in Boston in the United States uh, before coming to St. Andrews. And we have fallen in, in love with Kingdom Vineyard, with Fife and Scotland. We drove through Har with no phone signal, lost for 30 minutes yesterday. And that did not decrease my love for <laughs> this place we call home. Um, for the past couple of Sundays, we have been looking at <laughs> Ephesians, Rachel, like, oh my gosh, yes, it was, it was quite terrifying. It was like out of a movie. Um, Jim spoke about how Ephesians uh, tells us not only what we are saved from, but what we are saved for. As children of God, heirs and participants in God's cosmic plan to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. And last week on Pentecost Sunday, Toby spoke of the way uh, of the way things work, God's work, which was contrasted to the devil's work, and our work in participating with God in what he is doing. This week, we're going to be exploring what it looks like to be a reconciled and spirit-filled church, which reflects God's cosmic reconciliation to the world. So my lovely friend Eileen is going to read our passage for us today, which is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to, come to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks, Eileen. Yeah, it's lovely to see your face. Um, there's a lot here in this passage. And if I asked you today what category markers of belonging differentiate and often separate people to the point of exclusion and division, including Christians, 
things may come to mind, such as uh, class, ethnicity, race, nationhood, nationality, gender, and uh, things for the Ephesian church, Paul stresses that that which separated Jews and Gentiles circumcision is no longer something which separates Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ. In describing the new reality between Jew and Gentile Christians, Paul makes use of a literary device used by scripture writers called illusion. An illusion works like this. I say to be or not to be, and you do two things. One, you're like, that's Hamlet, Shakespeare. And two, you can complete the line. That is the question. And if I say, I have a dream, most Americans would think Martin Luther King and then be reminded of the rest of his speech, which talks about his children not being judged by the color of their skin and instead by the content of their character, about justice rolling down like a mighty river. The Hebrew scriptures were full of such allusion to references in previous stories. And the writers of the New Testament, including Ephesians, employed the same. But we need to know the context, the historical context, in order to understand the significance of the illusions. The Israelites were a people who had suffered 600 years of civil war, foreign deportation, exile, betrayal, and imperial rule by four successive empires before Jesus's birth. The third one, which conquered Israel, the Greek empire, sought to replace Hebrew ways of life with Greek customs, language, amphitheaters. The Greek king Antiochus built an altar to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig on that altar. So if you remember, uh, pigs and Jewish ways of life don't particularly mix well. So this was a particularly severe insult. The Greek and Roman empires often publicly crucified hundreds of zealots and Pharisees who protested the unjust rule of their people. And in the midst of such suffering, the anticipation of resurrection became a stronger, more potently expected hope. A particularly striking, striking passage that spoke of resurrection hope was Ezekiel 37 which for those of us that are familiar is about the Valley of Dry Bones. And in that passage, God shows the prophet Ezekiel a glen full of bones, which represent the dead of Israel. And he is promised that they will live. You're gonna see, hopefully, great, thank you, Ben. Um, Ezekiel 37, where he is talking about this vision, the prophet Ezekiel, and he sees a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And the Lord asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, sovereign Lord, only you, you alone know. And in verse five, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Later on in that chapter, God then makes this promise. In the next slide, he says, I will make a, oh, sorry. No, yes, the next slide. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So when Jesus and Martha talk about the resurrection in John, where Jesus is spoken of as the resurrection and the life, they are talking about a hope 
that stems from Ezekiel's vision and promise. But it's not just Ezekiel that is a rich reference point for the writers of the New Testament. Isaiah was the other commonly quoted text because of its anticipation of the Messiah, God's anointed one. And it's Isaiah that talks about who are near and those who are far. This contrast of Ephesians 2 and Isaiah 57, that's on the next slide, uh, will show us how near um, and far is contrasted in both passages. Near was a way of speaking of Israel who, and who was near to God, and far was a way of referring to distant nations, the Gentiles, who are also to see the light of the Messiah. Um, and that is throughout Isaiah, that kind of theme. Our passage in Ephesians is referring to these two hopes, the resurrection of Israel's dead in Ezekiel 37, and the preaching of peace, be um, of peace between God and humanity to Jews and Gentiles in Isaiah and other prophets. So when the verse reads, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, we need to think about what that would have been like if you were a Jew descended from a suffering people to hear these words, that those who are once considered outside of God's promise, God's promise, the uncircumcised enemies were now included in this promise. People that were not allowed to worship in the temple where a wall would separate out Jews from Gentiles, those people were now part of a new sanctuary, a new temple, which is not about physical walls or stones, but about people meeting together. Just like when Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I will be with them. Think about hearing that peace was preached to both those who are near and those who are far, that peace from Christ is needed for both Jews and Gentiles. That would have been a challenging word then, and it's a challenging word for us today. Ephesians 2 is not saying if you are nice to each other or if you commit to each other, then you are reconciled. It's saying in Jesus's crucified and resurrection, resurrected body, God has torn down the dividing walls between you and those you considered your enemies, and he has made you into one people. It's not our actions that make reconciliation possible. It's that God has already reconciled us to himself and to each other. And we live in that reality that he has made possible through Jesus. Ephesians 2 is an invitation to live into that reality. It's like saying, hey, you have new sisters and brothers. You have to live together now to reflect that reality across the boundaries of class, ethnicity, race, nationality. It's not uniformity, but it's reconciled unity into one family of God. We are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and members of his household. When Ephesians uh, 2, 21 to 22 speaks of us being joined together and rising to become a new holy dwelling, it uses a rare word uh, for joining together. You can show the next slide, um, Ben. And it's that word for joining together is also used in, in Ezekiel 37, when the bones of the dead are joined together as God breathes resurrection life, which anticipates the Holy Spirit. The clincher in this is that it is the spirit which resides in the new dwelling, the, the sanctuary formed by Jew and Gentiles together. The reality of this resurrection life of Jew and Gentile coming together is seen and felt in the presence of the Holy Spirit, breathing new life in them as they gather together. The Ephesian Christians heard a challenging word 
that the new temple or sanctuary of God was not made of human hands, but in the coming together of Jew and Gentile and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in that mist. In other words, a sanctuary was not about the stones or the stained glass windows. It was about the people whose hearts were filled with the Holy Spirit. The people are what made and what makes a sanctuary. We can um, stop sharing the slides. Thank you so much, Ben. For us, as we are navigating the complex realities of meeting together and doing online church during the pandemic, Ephesians challenges us also to not think of church merely as what happens in a church building, but also as what happens when believers come together and as the Holy Spirit moves through them, even through a video screen. So don't get me wrong. I miss meeting at a church building on Sundays. You know, I miss the, the tidal wave of praise and sound that is Kingdom Vineyard during worship. I miss seeing the kind of loving delight my daughter receives as she dances and worship down the aisle. Um, uh, but Ephesians 2 is telling us that church, the new temple of God in which the Holy Spirit dwells, is not about the physical sanctuary. It's about the people coming together. And it can be in a back garden around the dinner table in an open field. And yes, hopefully also a sanctuary or building as things become more safe. As lockdown eases in the coming months, hopefully, please, Jesus, okay, uh, Kingdom Vineyard will discern when and how to safely meet together, God willing, as Rachel and Jim announced about the, the, the uh, once a month Sunday gatherings that will happen. But these words in Ephesians are not meant for just when we eventually meet in person. Therefore, when we meet today, even across video screens, because the spirit resides in the people of God, not in a specific building, and in the weariness of lockdown's intrusion into our normal and into our dreams, it may be hard to remember that. But the Holy Spirit, he resides in you, sisters and brothers. No matter what your experience of spiritual gifts in the past, of seeing the Holy Spirit move in palpable ways, you coming together with another believer is a powerful thing because God is there in that sanctuary of human hearts. I'll share a story here from long before lockdown, um, several years ago in Los Angeles when I was visiting a friend's vineyard church plant with, with Shin, my husband. Jordan was not yet in the picture. Um, so this church plant was meeting in their living room. They weren't quite big enough to um, start a, in a church building yet. And there were about 12 people present uh, and four of us were visitors, including a DJ, a disc jockey. If I say DJ, that makes sense, right? Okay, thank you, Alistair. <laughs> Who just think of a Christian, I'm like, you know, lost in translation, American versus British English, um, including a DJ who had just become a Christian and his brother, who was a break dancer, um, who was spiritually open, but clearly, you know, secular, not Christian. So during part of the gathering where individuals were asked if they need a prayer, the dancer raised his hand. And, you know, these folks at this gathering, I'm like, they're all like, you know, OG, like a uh, vineyard kind of, you know, like extra spiritually prophetically gifted peoples. And, and I, you know, I often um, tend to assume that those people will hear more than me when praying. And I was also very sleep deprived. I think I had like two hours of sleep. So I just thought if God says anything prophetic, you know, it's going to be through these heavyweights in this room. So they prayed about God's blessing, the guy's dance career, and he nodded and 
um, it was a good word, you know, one that was encouraging, but um, it wasn't one that necessarily challenged him in an uncomfortable way. And that's not, we don't need that to happen. It was just, you know, he was having a good time, just like experiencing uh, this kind of church. During all this, I saw a picture during prayer, but I didn't want to say anything because surely everyone else was more gifted than me in prophetic prayer, right? And what I was seeing, though, wasn't going away. It was something that looked like a rock and a stick in his knee. But but no one else said anything. So I just waited till service was done and people were mingling. And I leaned over and said, um, do you have any dance injuries? You know, it's like a softball question because I could be wrong. Right? And he's like, oh, all the time. So I asked, is it in your knees? And he like looked at me and paused. And I asked, is it in your right knee? And the color just drained from his face. We couldn't tell, but he had hurt his knee during a dance routine and had been unable to audition and thus earn a living um, for several months as a result. So my husband, my friend that was a pastor and I, we got to pray for him. And after during it, he's like, my knee feels better. And he wanted to try a backflip because he's that kind of back, you know, break dancer. And I thought, oh, that's a little dangerous because um, that's a lot of stress on an injured, on a recently, you know, peeled, but previously injured knee. And um, he did it on the grass in the back lawn. And he said, it doesn't hurt. Friends, I share that story because one, it wasn't in a church building. <laughs> it was in a house. But two, I was the last person that I thought the Holy Spirit would use to speak about someone's need for healing. Usually I'm like, that's my hubby. I'm going to I'm gonna like be along for the ride. <laughs> but God did that, drawing us together to bless and pray and to be the new temple together. Yeah. My second challenge for us is this. As God draws us into his new temple, we need to be open to the Jew-Gentile kind of relationship and temple building uh, with unexpected others that Ephesians 2 talks about. Most of us are Gentiles. I think a couple KVers have Jewish heritage, but whether it's along those lines or along lines of nationhood, ethnicity, race, class, age, gender, God is going to surprise you with who he calls you and us to pray with, who he calls us to be a new sanctuary with, who he calls us to experience his glory alongside. Ephesians 2 is a promise and a command to come together as people of varying ethnic and national stories across the scars and divisions which separated our people to be a holy dwelling together. And we do this by making space for the Holy Spirit to speak, to pour out his gifts, to cause us to change out of our old comfort zones towards loving our neighbors who are different from us. And it's the bond of the Holy Spirit that brings us to deeper knowing and deeper care for each other as we pray for healing, for words of knowledge, for deliverance from evil, and for care and provision. You don't know who God will surprise you with when it comes to meeting together with someone who's different from you as he builds his temple sanctuary. I'll share another story here. Um, I met a friend a couple of years ago, I guess several years ago now. I'll call her Farah to just, you know, for to protect her like a, a story. But when she was uh, she was visiting a church in in Boston in the United States, and I had never seen her before, so you know I smiled to welcome her, and she smiled right back. And I thought she's definitely not from New England because that part of the U.S. We don't smile to great people. <laughs> like, 
And so Farah was from Iran. She was an international um, graduate student. And she was someone that I and several others from my church befriended. But it was in particular the dinners together and the hangouts outside of church where we, really, where we really got to know each other and to learn about Persian culture, her background and food, and to share about our spiritual journeys. She grew up very suspicious of religion in her own context, but she had visited church because of a friend that she knew. She had had spiritual encounters before, so she wasn't an atheist, but she was more like an agnostic. She loved the sermons. And um, so one day after service, I asked if I could pray for her during prayer ministry. And as I prayed for Jesus to speak to her, she looked up with eyes full of tears. And she said, I feel like someone is giving me a giant hug. It was a feeling of being deeply loved and welcomed by God. As political and anti-immigrant and definitely anti-Iranian rhetoric increased in the U.S. in the months leading up to the 2016 U.S. election, it was the community of Christians around Farah that helped her to see that there was something different about the Jesus and the Christians she was encountering. She decided one Sunday that she needed to stop putting her trust in government or man, and she needed to trust God. So she took her first communion that Sunday, and a lot of things happened afterwards. Her boyfriend proposed to her days afterwards, uh, and our church quickly planned a wedding for her because she was an only child, and her parents weren't able to come. They, they, they had video streamed in. Uh, this is before pandemic. And um, this wedding was, we transformed the church basement. It was full of glorious Middle Eastern food and dancing. And many people who had never stepped foot in a church before. And one of her Iranian friends commented, I know you guys threw her that wedding with no expectation of anything in return. And that in my culture is unheard of. The next day was Sunday. And we had evening services. So I saw her at church. I was like, wow, I'd be tired after all that dancing. And I, I you know, I, she, I thought she was coming up to me uh, because she wanted prayer ministry. But she took her hands in mine and she said, no, I want, I want to pray for you. And she prayed, Father, thank you that I can call you my father. Thank you that this is my sister. And looking up at me, she quoted, her wedding verse from Ruth, which, and she said, um, you are my people now. I would never in a million years have thought that my church in Boston would be the place where I would meet and befriend a beloved Iranian sister and welcome her as part of God's new temple and sanctuary. I also would have never thought a couple of years ago that my family and I would hop on a plane with a one-year-old baby to a country called Scotland and, and call it our new home. And yet some of the sweetest moments of friendship and loving the other have been shared around fire pits and prayers which have warmed our hearts in these strangest of times. It's mind boggling to think, to realize that with many of you as we shared meals and stories that we grew up oceans apart. And yet in Jesus, such warmth and fellowship can be shared and in the long winter of COVID, I have been grateful for God's provision and for his Holy Spirit's movement. Kindness to and from strangers and friends has felt all the sweeter. And we are constantly asking the Spirit, even when we're tired, 
Who are you leading us towards? Where are you inviting us to join you in what you are doing? Friends, God is moving and has been moving. He is inviting you to befriend, to love the other, to be the new temple with others, and to share resurrection life with others. No matter where you are, and no matter who you are. Even in the UK, there are a lot of complex things going on uh, post-Brexit, as the world deals with COVID, vaccination, racial injustice, and the stereotypes of each other. It's into such a context that God says, love the other, pray for each other, seek his healing and his resurrection life. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you be breathing into our hearts and souls? We pray for a fresh word from you, Lord. Some of us really resonate with the valley of the dry bones. It's been a dry um, and weary season. Lord, would you pour in resurrection hope, not a false optimism, but a hope that comes from your Holy Spirit speaking. Would you pour that into our hearts? We pray for new life in places that have felt dead or far from hope. And as we wait on you for that, we also pray, even in our mind's eye right now, that you would show us the face or faces of those with whom you are calling us to join together in prayer, fellowship, and love as a reconciled people of God. We need you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love us. Would you give us the living water and the daily bread that we need for today and for the rest of this week? Amen.